at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 18 months, no payments and no interest, or $300 off each window, $700 off a Pella entry system, and $1,000 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Lots of ground to cover. Let us get started. First of all, world of sports. I am thrilled. That the Brewers have made a free agent signing, bringing in Andrew McCutcheon, formerly of the Pirates and the, the Phillies, MVP in 2013, and I understand that that's a long time ago, but I think he's perfect to be the fourth outfitter, outfielder, fill in his designated hitter. And I guess one of the things, maybe it's just my recollection, and there's people that keep statistics on all this, but as a longtime Brewers fan, it just seems to me that Andrew McCutcheon used to wear out Brewers pitching, particularly when he was with the Pirates. And the Pirates, there was a period of time that they weren't necessarily very good, but I, I tell you, it seemed like at least that was my sense. Every time McCutcheon came to the plate against the Brewers, he, he got a hit. So I'd much rather have him playing for the team than against the team. It was sort of like what happened last year when they went out and they made the free agent signing of Colton Wong, which the, who's playing second base, which turns out to be an absolutely tremendous signing. He's a great player. But that was always my sense when the Brewers played the St. Louis Cardinals, when Wong played for him, He just wore him out. I would much rather have him playing for him and against him. You know, who knows what McCutcheon has in the tank, but actually I think it's a, a great signing, and it shows that the Brewers are, are certainly in it to win it. And if you look at the other teams in their division, um, obviously the Cardinals are always good. The Pirates are a hot mess. The um, Cubs, I think, are going to be a hot mess this year. The Cincinnati Reds, or well, they're always the Cincinnati Reds. But I, I would say that the Brewers... I, you don't want to predict them running away with the division, but I think that they're going to do very, very well, and that's why I'm excited that there's a 162-game baseball season. And by the way, first spring training game, if you haven't heard, it is this Friday, 3 o'clock, I believe, is uh, when the first pitch is. All right, let us get started. I, I spent about five minutes this morning learning the pronunciation of this name because I, I think... What happened was so very, very heroic that you, you shouldn't butcher her name. Her name is Marina Avsayankova. Um, Avsayankova. Anakova. Avsayankova is how you pronounce it. She is, if you haven't seen, she's one of my absolute new heroes. Yesterday afternoon, during a live broadcast on an evening news program in Russia, one of the most popular evening news programs, millions of viewers, she, who was a producer on, on the show, she worked at this television broadcast station, what she does while they're on live TV is she walks behind the news anchor carrying a poster in a mix of both Russian and English. And what it says is, no war in English. Then in Russian it says, stop the war. Don't believe the propaganda. Here you are being lied to. And then it says, Russians against war. And apparently um, she also shouts on TV, stop the war, no war. After a few seconds, the broadcast cuts away and she is hauled off. 
Apparently, at the same time this is going on, she also posts a pre-recorded video on the Internet. And this is what she puts in her pre-recorded video. What is happening in Ukraine is a crime. Russia is an aggressor country, and the responsibility for this aggression rests on the conscience of only one person. That person is Vladimir Putin. My father is Ukrainian, my mother is Russian, and they've never been enemies. The necklace I'm wearing is a symbol of the fact that Russia must immediately end this fratricidal war, and our fraternal peoples will still be able to reconcile. Unfortunately, I've spent the last few years working for Channel One doing Kremlin propaganda, and I'm very ashamed of this. A shame that I allowed lies to be broadcast from TV screens. Screens. A shame that I allowed others to zombify Russian people. We were silent in 2014 when all this started. That was the invasion of Crimea. We didn't protest when the Kremlin poisoned Navalny, who was the opposition leader. We sat silently and watched this inhumane regime at work. And now the whole world has turned its back to us, and the next generation, 10 generations won't wash away the stain of this fratricidal war. We Russians are thinking and intelligent people. It's in our power alone to stop this madness. Go protest. Don't be afraid of anything. They can't lock us all away. So that, that's that's what she says. That's that now. Of course, she holds the sign up on live TV. That's what she ended up posting. So who knows how many people have seen it? She was then arrested, was put in jail. There, there's conflicting reports as to where she is now, whether she's still being held in custody or whether she's being allowed to be released on on house arrest or whatever. But she has been charged. Um, with a crime in Russia uh, related to hooliganism. It's reported that she may face up to 15 years in prison under Russian's disinformation laws about this. So that's, that's really all we know. And there's other reports that are out there saying that she could be charged with organizing an unauthorized public event whatever that may mean, which would just be a fine community service or up to 10 days in jail. But they could go the other route, try to put this woman in prison for 15 years. She is 44 years old. She has two children. And I will tell you, she is she's just my absolute hero to, to be able to risk what she risked and stand up and, and do this. Um, Laura at Las Vegas sends me a text. Jeff, I saw this on the news. The only way Putin will eventually be stopped is for the Russian people to step up and overthrow him. It starts with small acts of bravery like hers. Way to go. To which I, I say, yeah. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have, over the last two weeks, referred to Russia as the evil empire. Ronald Reagan was exactly right. But that's clearly Russian leadership. And I understand that there's a lot of propaganda that's out there, and maybe the real people don't know what's going on. But more and more, especially in 2022, it's harder to to keep that disinformation going. Because of the Internet, because of various sources of information, the word ultimately gets out about what is going on so so here is my question average Russians the ones who are being impacted by the, the sanctions the ones whose the stock market is now closed the ones who no longer have access to being able to travel because flights aren't going in or out of Russia the ones who have to stand in line for a couple hours just to hope they can get some cash out of their ATMs the ones who find that all the Western businesses that they've been used to patronizing whether it's Starbucks or McDonald's to all the different uh, 
stores, the clothing stores and things like that, the ones that find that they are now closed, the Russians who find that their credit cards are no good anymore because American Express and Visa and MasterCard are, again, you know, they're, they're pulling these things back. All right, will the average Russian be willing in the relative near future to stand up and do what this woman did. 855-616-1620. Or is this just an, an isolated example? You know, the, there's that picture in the 70s where you have the, 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 ca- the caption is, the last great act of defiance. And there's it, it's taken from the perspective of this giant hawk that is swooping down on this little field mouse. And the field mouse is looking up and he's waving at the hawk, but he's only using one finger. And the caption is, last great act of defiance. It, it is is this expression by this woman, is that the last great act of defiance? Or, on the other hand, is this maybe the start of the Russian people rising up and saying, we're not going to tolerate this? 855-616-1620. Regardless, she is my hero for the day. We discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Now, I think this woman who challenged Vladimir Putin on live TV and has now ended up presumably in a Russian jail cell, I, I, I think she is a hero and, and maybe maybe just be, might be that, that spark that starts a more public movement. Although, there's no question, hundreds and hundreds of Russians, maybe thousands, are protesting in the streets and getting arrested on a daily basis. Okay, and I, I mentioned she's 44 years old. She has two children. One of our texters just sent me a note that I could not disagree with more. And the text says, and now her children don't have a mother with them. It's not worth it. As a parent, you put your children first. Okay. I guess that is the type of attitude. And, and you just, look, again, I, I try to avoid using World War II references because typically, as I say frequently, when you use Hitler or um, Nazi Germany references, it, it typically breaks down. But there are eerie parallels to what is going on now and what Hitler and Germany did at the start of World War II. So I guess my, my question it would be to the texter. All right, you say, no, 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 you just you see these injustices, you just let them go. All right, what if at the start of the Third Reich, when you started to see the genocide that was being directed against Jews, all right, maybe maybe if more average Germans stood up and said, this is, this is wrong, instead of participating in that or just benignly saying, okay, well, they're, they're not talking about me, I'm not Jewish, okay, would, would that... Would that have been the answer? No, no, no. Well, you don't want to put yourself at risk. So here, just just stand by and watch something that you know is very, very wrong. Continue to go on. Just, I mean, that that's the peril, and that's the attitude saying, oh, you should never intervene. You should never put yourself out there. You should never try to stand up and say, we've got to know the truth. This is what's going on because it might put you at danger. Well, that that's the profile in courage that, that's out there. And the alternative is to stand by the sideline and watch Genocide. Watch atrocities go on. 855-616-1620. Tim in Whitewater. Tim, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, thank you for this time. Uh, it's, Jeff, it's, this is a hard call. Uh, it, it's, it's very iffy because if this was years ago, I think uh, the Russian people would just kind of, you know, 
be blase about it and just blow it away. But today, because number one, it's so close to them, it's right next door. Number two, there's all of this media. There's cell phones. There's, and I know Putin is shutting all that stuff off, but the word is still getting through. And if you have enough people that, that are willing to say, I'm not putting up with this nonsense anymore, you know, uh, then you've got a chance. But, you know, let's face it, there's a certain amount of people that are going to go along with him. There's a lot of people in this country that went along with Trump, but that's another situation. So I think, I hope that the people in Russia says, I'm not going to deal with them anymore, and they have uh, a rebellion like they did years ago, you know, in other countries, too. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. No, Tim, I I think that's certainly a possibility. It's much, and you are exactly right, 2022, it's much more difficult to control the flow of information with with the Internet and with all that stuff that's out there than it was, say, in 1960, where you could, you could jam Radio Free America and you could, you know, and the only way people would have access to information was by, you know, what the state run television stations are putting out there. But it's not that case anymore. Now, I mean, I understand when you look at an evil empire, when you look at the tyranny that's there, that I guess the question becomes, are, are, are people just collectively, do, do you just go along with this because you, you recognize that if you stand up, you're probably going to be hauled off and sent to some prison somewhere or shipped to some gulag in Siberia, best case scenario, or worst case, you just suddenly disappear. But you wonder as more and more people get this information out and as more and more people start to see, oh, what we're being told here about what is going on in Ukraine, we're, we're not viewed as liberators. They're, they're dug in. We are invaders. And by the way, we have now become pariahs in the world. I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks. I, I just, the sense that Vladimir Putin is winning the election, winning this war, I, I just don't buy it. He's, he's created a humanitarian crisis. He's making some military gains, but they, they thought this was going to be like a blitzkrieg. It, it hasn't happened. And even if you somehow take Kiev or whatever, it's not like the Ukrainian people are going to suddenly go and say, hey, we're, we're thrilled at being Russian subjects. 855-616-1620. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Uh, first of all, all the respect in the world for this uh, woman. That is extremely courageous. And, you know, I understand what the woman was saying about, you know, her the kids, but um, it takes sacrifice to... Uh, you know, make change, and she's making that sacrifice, and I applaud her. Um, I don't know if the Russian people are ready to, you know, fight back. You know, Putin has had an iron thumb on them for some time now, and just like Hitler, you know, he's used fear to, uh, you know, suppress them. Uh, right. But I think hopefully this could be a spark. And, you know, like the last caller said, it's not easy to hide information and stop information like it was, you know, during World War II or, like you said, even in the 60s. So... I would like to see it. Um, I don't know if it's, it's going to happen just yet, but little acts add up to more acts, and more acts yeah. add up to bigger acts, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how it's yeah. got to start. Yeah, Mike, thanks for the call, right? And, and it, it is, again, when you live in this society that is, is pretty much a totalitarian state, uh, you know, the other thing is it really makes you take a step back, and, and it should make us all take a step back, and 
and thank our lucky stars that we live in in a free society. Now, I, I, I understand that we have issues in the United States, but the truth of the matter is you can, you can stand up in public and you can criticize the government. You can organize rallies, and as long as you behave in a peaceful fashion, you can criticize the government. You can come on a radio station, a large radio station, and you can speak your mind. And sometimes in speaking your mind, you may be critical of the government. And you know what? I get to say what I want, and the government isn't going to come and grab me and throw me into a jail cell. That's, that is one of the fundamental differences. I was talking to somebody about this the other night. One of our first listener trips, when we started doing the river cruises, it was on the Danube. And, and we started in Budapest, which is you know, in Hungary, which was behind the Iron Curtain. And I just, I love Budapest. If you talk to my wife, too, I, we, that was one, it's one of our favorite cities when you travel to Europe. I doubt we're ever going to go back there. But I wish... I wish I could bring the guides because Budapest was behind, and it's actually two cities, Buda and Pest, and it it's be, was behind the Iron Curtain. You should have heard the stories that the guides told about what it was like to live under the thumb of the Soviets. And trust me, it was not a pretty sight. And I always wanted to, I, I wish we could just, Grab these 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 various guides and bring them back and, and have them go into schools and tell people what it was like living under the Soviet Union because I think it would be an eye-opening experience to hear what the reality was like and you're starting to see these stories now about you stand up and you say no war stop the war and you get arrested and hauled off and and you know who knows where she's going to turn out but I'm telling you this is this is a profile in courage. And you hope it's a little small spark, which then leads more and more people to stand up and say, what Russia is doing in Ukraine is wrong, and it has to stop. Now, militarily, the West can help stop it, but internally, that's where some of the answer is. If Putin feels enough pressure to his iron-fisted rule, that he's got to find some sort of off-ramp to stop the bleeding. That would be outstanding. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Yeah, during the break, I, I was just looking. That's the, the, the T-shirt was big in the 70s, the last great act of defiance. And, and it shows this giant eagle swooping down on a little field mouse. And the field mouse is looking up, and he's got his hand extended and... Um, but again, he, he's only waving with one finger, if you know what I'm talking about. And the caption is, the last great act of defiance. You can buy T-shirts like that. And, I mean, I think you're starting to see that with some of the, these Russians out there who, the Russian citizenry, who know they're being lied to, who know what their government is doing is fundamentally wrong, and maybe you're starting to rebel. Just maybe. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Yeah, I just sent out a tweet. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've also got a link to the story we were talking about, about the, the profile and courage, the 44-year-old Russian woman who's now been arrested because on national TV she says, no war, you are being lied to. And the breaking news is that Russia has now sanctioned the president and Hillary Clinton, and by sanctioning, saying, you're not allowed to come to our country. My tweet, which has a link to the story, is, so now Russia says the president and others are not welcome. How do you sign up for this list? Put me on the sanctions list. 
Like I would, not not that I think anybody would be going to Russia anytime soon for or for the next several decades. I would imagine as long as this evil empire continues in place. But that that's the kind of list you want to be a part of. That's the kind of club that you want to be a member of. That Russia doesn't want you in there. All right, let us completely and totally switch gears. When I was growing up, back in the day, having a summer job was was really really cool that the, the the expectation was that you know during the summer yeah you you'd continue to do some of the stuff and you'd go to your you know basketball camps and things like that but everybody tried to, to get a job why because you needed the spending money or, or maybe it was you wanted to put a little bit of money away because you, you wanted to buy your car you want to buy your first car or you know if your parents were going to let you have a car you had to pay for the insurance or the gas money or whatever everybody I, I know back in the day was was fighting to get jobs and I remember a couple of my buddies we just they they got really great jobs, and the jobs in some cases, you know, they worked at factories, and it was really hard work. And by great, I mean it was hard work, but what they were able to do is they were just able to make a ton of money back back then, and, you know, it was great. You know, it was hard work that they did, and we really enjoyed seeing them, and they couldn't go out, you know, that often. But, you know, when they did, they really enjoyed it. So everybody was trying to get jobs. One of the types of places that everybody tried to apply for was like work for park services and all, if you could get a job working for like a public park system, like the Milwaukee County Park System, for example, that, that was gravy because these were, these were good jobs. They paid good money. You worked outside. You know, you, you cut grass or you cleaned up parks or things like that. They were seasonal sort of work, but everybody wanted to get them. And typically back then, as I recall, you had to know somebody to, to get them. You know, I, all right, you know, how, how did you get the job at the parks? Well, you know, my dad knows somebody who works there. You know, my dad works for the park system, and he got me a job. In any event, these were the jobs that people really, really, really wanted to have. And almost everybody wanted to work during the summer. If you were a high school kid or you were a college kid back for the summer, that's what you wanted. You wanted to get off your duff. You wanted to go out. You wanted to work. I was thinking about that because there's a story in the Kenosha paper today. Here's the headline. Kenosha County offering hiring bonuses in trying to fill seasonal parks jobs. Kenosha County Parks, now get this, are actively recruiting for a host of seasonal positions. Um, we're looking for people who love working outdoors and are willing to have a growth mindset to learn new skills. Our seasonal positions are unique. We give flexibility and training for these individuals to grow their resume. We're proud to offer a variety of positions that fit people's lifestyle, from high schoolers to folks that have retired from their professional job and keep want to keep looking busy during the, the warmer months. And I, I went to their, their website and looked at the different jobs, and they've got everything ranging from, you know, lifeguards to, like, seasonal park employees, you know, people working cutting grass and picking up trash, people working in the the golf shop, people working on the golf courses. You, You get the idea. Your typical sort of summer job that they need in the parks when the parks are busy. Well, in order, I was looking at the different jobs, and the jobs, depending on what they are, 
And, and these are, you know, it's high school kids, college kids too, but it, but it's high school kids, starting at high school kids. The starting salary for almost every one of those jobs was 12 bucks an hour to 14 bucks an hour. That was the range. For some positions like lifeguards, I think it was 14 to 16, but that's what the starting salary was. But here, it, it gets even better. Um, Kenosha County is now announcing that they are offering a $200 hiring bonus to successful applicants. The $200 hiring bonus will be granted to those who are successfully hired and who are employed for more than 30 days. So if you're you know, a 15- or a 16-year-old kid looking for a, a summer job, you, know, you, you can get a job, I don't know, doing maintenance on, on a golf course or something like that. It's going to pay you somewhere in the neighborhood of, let's say, $14 an hour, ballpark. If you work there for more than 30 days in the summer, you're going to get an extra $200. And my guess is that you know, they're, they're not going to be able to find enough people. Other seasonal employee perks include the payment of upfront costs for the Wisconsin Commercial Pesticide Applicator Test, one Silver Lake Park Beach um, annual pass, and up to two annual dog tags for the Kenosha County Dog Parks, um, etc. And then there's all these other things as well. But but they're paying 14 bucks an hour. They're paying a $200 hiring bonus if you're there for 30 days. And it's a job that you can do if you're 15 or 16 years old. And they're begging for people. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should this be enough to attract people to work? And I understand they're, they're competing, as we talked about before, they're competing with the, the private sector, they're competing with the, the burger doodles and the things that are out there that are offering that. But, but I don't know that it's necessarily so much you're competing, gee, my, my choice is do I, you know, do I ride a riding lawnmower and cut grass in a Kenosha County park or do I you know, work a drive-through at a McDonald's? What, what I think it really is is, well, gee, I don't know if I want to go to work. I mean, I, they're only going to pay me $14 an hour, and it's only going to be a $200 hiring bonus, and, and I'm going to have to show up at 7.30 in the morning, and I'm going to have to work. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I, I think these are great opportunities. I wish there were opportunities like this when I was younger. But the real problem I think that's being faced here is it's not it's not that people won't work for that that fourteen dollars an hour isn't a fair wage with a two hundred dollar hiring bonus. It's that you have a lot of people who just flat out don't want to work in the summer. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. What happened? <laughs> How did we get from where we were when I was a kid to where we are now? We discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Now, a number of people are texting in and talking about lifeguard positions, and they, they desperately need lifeguards in Milwaukee County as well. And, and, and yes, th- those are parts of the jobs, that some of the jobs that they're trying to fill in Kenosha. But it's not just lifeguards. And I understand lifeguards involve a, a, a sort of a, an added sort of skill, and you've got to go through the Red Cross training and all that. But, but they're, they're desperately trying to fill other stuff. They're, they're trying to get you know, seasonal workers in, in the parks, people to cut the grass and to do maintenance on the golf courses and things like that. I hope my brother doesn't mind me telling the story, but um, – when he was, he went to both Marquette undergrad and Marquette law school. And he'll tell you when, when he worked in college. One of his greatest summer jobs. He still talks about it. 
was he got a job, you know, cutting grass for Marquette, and you know, it was it was like the outdoor maintenance thing. And he said it it, it was great. You got you got to be outside. You know, you're on this riding lawnmower and stuff, and you're you're going back and you're cutting grass and doing things like that. And he, and he said it paid really really well. The, these back in the day, these working for public park systems and things like that would be would be the gravy jobs. Um, Jeff, when I was 16, my first job was groundskeeper at a tennis club in Whitefish Bay. I had to drive from Holy Hill every day for two seventy-five an hour, so $14 an hour sounds more than fair today. Get those kids off their behinds and teach them what the team, what the term work ethic means. I, I will say this. If I, I mean, if I lived in Kenosha and I had a 16-year-old who was saying, well, gee, Dad, I don't know what I'm going to do this summer. I think I'm going to hang around. School's so tough. My response would be, here's what we're going to do this summer, you know, we're, we're going to go down and we're going to see what these jobs are that are available. Jeff, here's the difference. When we were all children, we didn't need it. Uh, and we didn't need it. Our parents said, that's fine. You can buy it, but you better figure out how to make some money because we're not paying for it. And we all figured out how to make a little money. Um, yeah, somebody's sending me a note saying, okay, Woodman's, they're, they're starting at $13.75 and at $13.75 an hour. I, I understand that there's a lot of competition that's out there. But again, I don't, I don't believe the issue in Kenosha is necessarily we're competing with high schoolers who might want to work at the Burger Doodle or whatever. I, I just think they're competing with a lot of high schoolers who's, aren't being told to go to work. And one of the things that infuriates me about this entire thing is the the notion that regardless of what you are paid, I think there is such an inherent value to to working and and working at a a young age because I think it teaches people the value of money. I mean, I've told this story before. I remember my first job I worked at. There was a a Treasure Island discount store that was on Green Bay and Road and uh, Brown Deer Road. And I can remember getting – and that was – I mean, I did paper routes and shoveling snow and things like that. But that was the first job where every two weeks, you know, you get a paycheck. And you look at the paycheck and you think about how many hours you worked and what the taxes were and you think, oh, gee, I'd like to buy this, but then you think, oh, gosh, I had to, this is like two days' work to buy whatever this was. I thought the value of that, plus the value of learning that you have to be at a particular place at a particular time, that it's like, well, I don't feel like going to class today or whatever. No, that, that to me is the inherent value of work. Let's talk to Scott in South Milwaukee. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my phone call. On, on this sure. particular topic, I mean, my, my feelings are is that is that most teenagers and people in their early 20s who typically, like I said, take these types of positions is that they want to be Internet um, influencers and they want to get paid by YouTube and Instagram and Twitter rather than going rather than having to go and work it on, having to go and work it on a job. I also think that video games, what are plays a plays a factor in this and i also feel that the other point i feel plays a factor in this as well is is a lot of parents want their children to focus on academics and community involvement whatever because those are things that they can put put on a, a college application and help mm-hmm. them whatever maybe stand above whatever somebody else is they're trying to get into a in a um in elite in elite yeah. school i mean but i like i said with, with your points at summer jobs i mean yeah when i was a teenager i mean i worked my butt off and I love doing it, whatever that gave you the groundwork for the values you have the rest of your life when it comes to work. Right. Thanks, Nicole. Plus, it put money in your pocket. See, and I guess what, what I don't, I, I don't buy this premise that, that you can't 
have it all. I mean, I understand there's probably some parents out there who say, boy, you know, it's tough to be a teenager and you need to, and I get the whole, believe me, I, I get the whole idea of you have to have like a, a resume, uh, a, a resume to get into college and you, know, you have to be involved in all these activities and stuff. But, but that doesn't say that you can't work also. I mean, it, it, it just, it just doesn't. Um, you can find the time for things. And, look, I appreciate that people are going to go to basketball camp or soccer camp or music camp or whatever. But, but okay, you know, that's, that, that's a week or that's, that's 10 days out of the time. That, and then so maybe you need to get off from the job or things like that. But it's, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm looking at this. And, you know, Kenosha County is begging for people. You know, they're, they're begging to try to find people who will come in and, and cut grass. And I do think, Scott, you're on to something. I think a lot of people say, what? what do you mean? It's like physical labor? You mean I have to... I have to go out and like like pick up branches or, or things like that, or I have to go and you know clean up the park system uh, after you know the fireworks on the Fourth of July, and people leave all this stuff behind, and I've got to go there and I've got to have like plastic uh, rubber gloves on, and I have to like pick up trash. Well, I don't want to have to pick up trash. Well, I understand that there's some element to that, but I don't know if they're paying you fourteen bucks an hour or fifteen bucks an hour, and if you work thirty days, they're going to give you another two hundred dollars on top. Of that, maybe that's a situation where hey, that, that's that's not bad money, but it, it's just it's just a different dynamic that that is out there. And like I say, I don't think the competition is working at the fast food restaurant or working retail or whatever. The competition is getting people who appreciate that there is a value to work in the first place or the parents who appreciate that there is a value to work. And, look, I understand everybody wants to be on their phone all the time, and everybody wants to be making their plans. You know, this this would be the other thing. If I, if I were an employer of teenagers, and maybe this is why I wouldn't be a very good employer of teenagers, one of the first rules that I would have is, is no cell phones while you're working. It's just absolutely not. There's nothing that I think is more frustrating than seeing somebody. If it, let's take a retail setting. You know, you you walk in and there's somebody behind the counter and they've got that cell phone out there and they're staring at that. No, when you're working, you're working. And when you're on your break, use your cell phone. That that's fine. It just drives me crazy sometimes. You walk into restaurants and you see there'll, there'll be waitresses kind of in the back and they're all on their cell phones and their stuff. No, you're supposed to be working. And, you know, take away people's cell phones. When you're on your break, that's fine. Do that. Well, I'll be curious to see what happens with Kenosha. Milwaukee County is in the same thing. They, they say they want to bring back the 3rd of July fireworks, but they need to hire people. All right, will people decide that they want to work for 14 or 15 bucks an hour? I hope the answer is yes. Not necessarily sure. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I, I, we're not going to spend the whole program talking about Ukraine, but I, I am fascinated by this, and I understand you, you might think I am being overly optimistic, but, but that's okay. That, that, that's okay. We should all hope that I am right. The... The latest reports are, are, and I don't think there's, I don't think you can argue with this. This is not going. This war is not going like Vladimir Putin 
hoped it was going to go. They, they invaded Ukraine at the end of February. The thought was, we are going to, we being the Russian army, is going to steamroller through this country of 40-some million people. They are going to be viewed as liberators, and we are going to bring Ukraine back to Mother Russia, etc., etc. What they didn't realize is that Ukraine has no interest in being part of Mother Russia and has put up a fierce resistance that, in, in general, has really pretty much stopped Russian advances, or at least delayed the Russian advances. The other thing that Putin badly miscalculated on was the idea that the West, which has been extremely fractured, would come together in the way it has, imposing the sanctions on, on Russia, supplying arms to Ukraine, and, and remaining essentially united. I think Putin thought that his position as the world's gas station would pretty much insulate him from any sort of sanctions and, and that's not how this is played out and that's why Russia now finds itself in the category of you know North Korea and Syria as far as like rogue nations which sets back any progress Russia has made over the last 30 years after the fall of the, the Iron Curtain but I'm looking at these and these are articles that are coming out of the United Kingdom so you take them with a grain of salt but they're quoting you know US officials as well and, and the story and the headlines are are that Russia really only has about 10 to 14 more days to sustain the, this this military action and, and what they're saying well here I mean here's the story that appears in the one of the papers Vladimir Putin could only have 10 days to win the war in Ukraine before his forces buckle defense experts claim he expected a quick victory but that has not happened um, last night 150 Kremlin troops killed overnight um, there's the story about the number. Now, Ukraine says they've killed or captured over 13,500 Russian troops. You, you take that with a, a grain of salt. They say they've knocked down 81 planes, knocked out 404 tanks. Again, the, these are these are estimates, and I assume that there's a propaganda um, effect to that. But there's no question that this is not going like Russia hoped. And like a senior United Kingdom defense official is saying, look, Russia Russia is running out of manpower and running out of energy. As long as Ukraine creeps pressing, they've got like 10 to 14 days before reaching their culminating point. That's when the strength of Ukraine's resistance could become greater than Russia's um, attacking force. Meanwhile, retired U.S. Army General Ben Hodges has predicted that Russian forces will be unable to continue their assaults on Ukraine 10 days from now if Ukraine can hold out that long. And you're starting to see that these are the theories that are being, you know, thrown around that, you know, it's it's not this isn't, you know, <clears throat> Germany subjugating France in, in 1939 or 1940, 39, I believe is when it happened, when, you know, you have the, the, the huge military might, they overrun France's and for, they overrun France's guards and, and the French government surrenders. Ukraine is not going to surrender. And so the question, I think, becomes, you know, can Ukraine hold on and how long can Russia sustain what it's doing? And, and I bring this up only because... I know that there's some people who want to send troops on the ground and, and say, if we're going to have World War III, this is where we should have it. And, and my, my point all along has been, I don't think it needs to get to that stage. I, I don't, I mean, the U.S. and NATO said, we're not sending troops into Ukraine. And while there is a huge humanitarian loss here, because Russia is now starting to try to terrorize the civilian population, that 
you know, which is, in my opinion, committing war crimes. But, you know, NATO said they weren't going to get involved in sending boots on, putting troops on the ground and such. And it, it appears that even by not doing that, whether it's the sanctions, whether it's the mili- the arms that are being provided to the Ukrainians, etc., they're, they're holding off Russia's advance. And the longer this goes on, the more difficult it is for Russia. Now, I understand the danger is that Vladimir Putin freaks out and decides that he, he wants to start World War III by lashing out and attacking Poland and things like that. Well, if he does that, that's a different story. And then you have to figure out what your plan B is going to be. But right now, plan A seems to be working. I understand it is creating a huge humanitarian problem in Ukraine with, what, two million plus refugees already. But the person you blame for that is Vladimir Putin. I guess my point is, if you listen to a lot of these defense experts, Russia is not accomplishing its, its objectives, and this idea that Russian ca- Russia can has the resources to maintain a siege for months and months and months might actually not be accurate. So maybe staying the course right now is the way to go, and then just see what happens with events. Just saying. Okay, when we come back. Whose fault is it? I will explain. We will discuss. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Are you ready for your shining moment? Tune in all day March 22nd, which is, what, a week from today, for Selection Tuesday, sponsored by Palermo's Pizza. Throughout the day, each WTMJ show, mine included, will take four callers, you call, you get a team playing in the big tournament. If your team wins it all, free pizza for a year. It's the Palermo's Pizza Bracket Challenge on WTMJ. How cool is that? That's next Tuesday. All right, here's the story. And we talked about this when it happened a couple years ago. But 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 here's here's the story. Mother of man killed by fleeing car thief sues Milwaukee police officers who gave chase. This is the story as it appears in the Journal Sentinel. A pair of Milwaukee police officers saw a stolen Buick SUV run a red light at Sherman Boulevard and West Hampton Avenue early one August morning in 2019. It was actually like about 1 a.m. So they see this stolen Buick run a red light. They began a chase joined a few minutes later by a second squad. About three and a half miles later, the Buick, heading southbound on North 12th Street, this is the stolen car, ran a blinking red light at Locust Street and slammed into a Jeep driven by a 19-year-old man. The impact sent the Jeep into a tree, then into a parked car across 12th Street. The driver of the Jeep, this is hit when the car goes through the light, died at the scene. The driver of the Buick, Aaron Fitzgerald, 21, was injured and later convicted of reckless homicide. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison. A new federal lawsuit by the mother of the victim blames the four officers involved in the chase for her son's death. The lawsuit says the officers know pursuing drivers who speed and ignore traffic controls through the city streets are extremely dangerous. The lawsuit suggests they could have either used force to stop Fitzgerald sooner or called off the chase. They chose not to do that. Now, I've got the description kind of of the chase. Officers, again, um, stolen car blows through a red light. 
They're pursuing the stolen vehicle in the area of North 64th and Congress. The driver, during the course of the high-speed chase, blew through multiple stop sites, stop signs, nearly caused a crash on West Capitol Drive, and then ultimately it's North 12th Street when the fatal crash occurs. So the mom of, again, of the, the victim here, she's suing, but she's not suing the 21-year-old who blew through the stoplight while fleeing from the police in the stolen car and hit and killed her son, she's suing the police, saying that they should not have chased. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For the longest time in this community, we had a policy that was pushed by former Mayor Tom Barrett and adopted by the former police chief that that the cops did not chase remember that it, we went about for four years and the rule was unless you have evidence that there that the car the driver is involved in a commission of a felony or something like that you don't chase so the result of that no chase policy became everybody just ran from the police you know the you know you're driving 65 70 miles an hour the police try to pull you over just drive through the red light and go on because they're not going to be allowed to chase you it led to mobile drug houses because again instead of why deal drugs out of a house where people can get a search warrant and go in here we'll we'll just we'll drive around we'll put all the dope in the car and then you just call us up and we'll meet you in different places and then if the police show up you flee at a high rate of speed and the police aren't going to be allowed to chase you that changed and i won't argue that it has stopped people from running because that's the big game nowadays it's flee from the police see what happens don't care if we hit and kill somebody else we're just going to run because that's what we're going to do so i'm not suggesting that the chase policy has necessarily resulted in fewer people running from the cops because that's the game that they play but when something bad happens like this is it the fault of the police or is it the fault of, let's say, the 21-year-old driving the stolen car who is running from the cops in the first place? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The, the loss of innocent life is, is, is tragic, and I am sympathetic to, to the mother. I, I can't imagine what it would be like to get that phone call, but at the same time, I think you have to put blame where the blame lies. And that blame is on the 21-year-old at the time, or probably 19, driving the stolen car who decides that he is going to blow through red lights and try to get away. And the flip side is, what if the cops don't chase? Okay, it, you, you might you might say, well, maybe they could find him later. It's a stolen car, for goodness sakes. If you don't try to apprehend him, this is 1 o'clock in the morning, the person's already driving in a reckless fashion, let's say you don't chase. And four or five or six blocks later, the car does the same darn thing, runs through a red light and hits and kills somebody. Then what, what's going to happen with the police? Then the, the parent of the person who's killed in that situation is going to say, what do you mean you didn't try to chase him? This guy was driving like a maniac. He was running for you. You just let him go away? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It seems to me, in, to me in situations like this, you have to put the blame where the blame lies. And the blame in this case lies squarely on the bad guy, the person who was fleeing the police in the first place. 855-616-1620, we discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just tuning in, here, here, here's the story. 1 a.m. in the morning, uh, about a year and a half ago, Milwaukee police see a stolen vehicle. It's a stolen Buick SUV blowing through red lights, driving like a bat out of you-know-where. They, they start to chase. The driver of the vehicle doesn't stop, as is frequently the habit, leads the police on about a three-and-a-half-mile chase. The chase ends when the driver blows through one of many red lights, and in this case slams into a Jeep driven by a 19-year-old man. The 19-year-old man dies as a result of this. Uh, Horrible. The bad guy caught, sentenced. He's now doing 10 years in prison. I would argue that he should probably be doing more than that, but that's that's the way it works right now. And now the family of the man who was killed has filed a lawsuit. But the lawsuit isn't after going after the, the driver of the vehicle. It's going after the police. It, and it says, well, the, the police could have done other things. They didn't have to chase. They could have uh, caught him later. They could have let him go. My point here is this is one of the ultimate situations of what, what are they supposed to do? We know that not chasing these cars does not work. We understand that here you have somebody who's driving the stolen car. You don't know what else it is that they have done. I just don't think you can let them get away. Now, you obviously have to assess different situations, but this it's, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Look, and my heart goes out to the family of the 19-year-old that, that was killed in this case. I understand why they're angry, but it seems to me if you want to figure out who they should be angry with, it's the punk who was driving the stolen car and fleeing from the police who caused all this in the first place. 855-616-1620. Jeff, it's damned if you do and damned if you don't situation. Why sue the actual perpetrator of the crime who might not have much in liquid assets when you have a juicy insurance policy of the police departments and they know that? Actually, I think the Milwaukee police are... I think the city is self-insured. So ultimately, if there would be a recovery, it would be the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee. Jeff, this isn't about blaming the police. This is about going where the money is. Um, You know, Jeff, of course she's suing the police, even though the 21-year-old is fault. She's looking for a payday, and she knows you won't get anything out of the 21-year-old. Yeah, I mean, there's there's an element of that. I had a professor in law school who became a dear friend of mine, passed away a few years ago, Jim Giardi, and he always used to talk about that. He said, anybody can sue anybody for anything. But, you know, many times people are what you would call judgment-proof. You can get that judgment, and then if the person doesn't have any assets, and my guess is, the 21-year-old who is now doing a 10-year stretch in prison, my, my guess is, who was driving the stolen car, my guess is that there, there's there's no money to get there. So you go and, and try to find other sources, which I, I don't want to, I do not want to come down too hard on, on the family because they're, they're grieving. They, and I, I'm sure they're frustrated. And I understand in the abstract, see, I get this. In the abstract, you say they should have let the guy go. And maybe... You know, maybe if that was my kid, maybe I would have felt the same way. I understand that. So I'm not too hard on, on the family. But the flip side, there, there sometimes is the bigger picture that's out there. And the bigger picture is we have all these criminals who are running loose on the streets. 
And, and the police have to do everything, at least in my opinion, they possibly can, to catch these criminals and bring them to justice. Because every time you have the guy that's driving the stolen car that blows through the red light at 75 or 80 or 90 miles an hour, they put somebody's life at risk. And I think it would be foolish to believe that had they terminated the chase here, had they let the guy who caught that was they, they caught their attention because he was driving through red lights anyways. Had they not chased, it would have been foolish to believe that this guy was going to stop driving in an irresponsible and a reckless fashion. So it, it's it's not was he going to cause an accident. It's where was he going to cause the accident. Jeff, I think pursuits are needed, but I think if I were in her place, I might feel differently. I respect that. I I do, but at the same time. There is this bigger picture out there, which is the police have to enforce the laws. And I I think that they should have wide discretion in doing that. And one of the things I firmly believe is for that three- or four-year period where Ed Flynn and Tom Barrett had the absolutely foolish no-chase policy, things did not get better. Matter of fact, I think we're still dealing with the ramifications of that because I think there's a lot of people who think, well, the cops don't chase. Well, now they, they do chase. The problem is people who run. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is Outdoor Living Unlimited. Are you ready to transform your ho-hum backyard into a luxurious oasis? If so, we've got good news. Your dream patio is within reach. Outdoor Living Unlimited has the experience, the skills, and the products to turn your vision into reality. Get a free quotation today and contact Outdoor Living Unlimited at 262-567-4513 or visit them at OutdoorLivingUnlimited.com. All right, let us talk about the Milwaukee Public Museum. Now, the Milwaukee Public Museum, if all goes according to plan, it will not be the Milwaukee Public Museum anymore. They're going to drop the name public from it, um, and it's going to become something different like the Wisconsin Museum of Nature or Culture or something like that. But but let's back up. The Milwaukee Public Museum has for years been located on Wells, West Wells Street, 800 West Wells Street. And you can kind of picture it if you know where the downtown library is. It's sort of kitty corner from the downtown library. It's right where the state office building is. And it has been there forever. It's a building that is way too big for its purpose right now. It's 48, uh, 480,000 square feet. It's, so it's a huge building. The museum um, has about 150,000 square feet of exhibit space. So it, it's this enormous building. It is an old building that arguably has outlived its useful life. And so in order to renovate the building, you would be talking about an enormous expense. You know, it's, it's one of these deals where, as you find with a lot of older buildings, in order to upgrade it and to do the things you need to do, it, it's almost easier just to tear it down and start from scratch. So that's what the people at the museum have been confronting, the, the whole cost. So the plan right now is what they want to do is they want to just get out of the old museum. Now, the problem is the county's still, that's a county building, and the county's still going to have to maintain that, and that's going to cost a couple million dollars for a year for a vacant building. But the plan is to take the museum and move its contents 
and move it to a, a new location, which is going to be built in the Deer District on like Sixth and McKinley. And if you could kind of imagine that, if you if you've been to Fiserv Forum, you know there's the big parking structure that that services Fiserv Forum. This would be across Sixth Street. That, that's McKinley. So that's where the location would be, and it the location would house the the new museum, although it's not going to be called the Milwaukee Public Museum. And also they take the Betty Brin Children's Museum, which is uh, down at close to the lakefront, and they would move that up there as well. So it would consolidate it. The plan, as outlined, would cost about $240 million, $240 million. The hope is that they will be able to get private funding to raise about $150 million of that, I, I, you know, maybe they can do it, maybe they can't. In addition to that, they're hoping for, um, they've got state funding that's lined up. They're hoping for like $5 million in federal funding. And one of the things that happened today is the county board has approved $45 million to be put towards the new Milwaukee Public Museum building. And what they're going to do is this is going to be through bonding. So to get the $45 million, it's actually going to cost somewhere in the neighborhood of 55 to $60 million by the time you make the interest payments. But the, the people that are pushing for the new museum, they, they, they can't even start the private funding, trying to raise private funds until they have a commitment from the various public entities. So they, they've got the commitment. They've had the commitment from the state. Now the county steps forward and, and says, okay, $45 million. We know over time it's going to probably cost us 55 or 60 but we're going to step up and, and do it. So the, the plans start to move ahead. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess here's the question. This is what I want to discuss with you. Milwaukee County, for all intents and purposes, is is broke. <laughs> I mean, it. You, you've got you, you've got the county pension scandal. They're they're still trying to figure out how they're going to pay off pension stuff. You've got issues with regard to, say, the courthouse which and, and the safety building, which are going to need monster, monster infusions of money in the very near future. Actually, it should have probably been done a long time ago. You've got all sorts of other needs that are out there um you know they're they're they're, they're cutting the bus companies cutting transit routes because you know they, they don't have the money to find drivers to, to do this so you have all these different expenses you have the county parks system and every time i, I look at a story about the county park system i have really smart people that are saying that the county park system needs the infusion of, of millions and millions of dollars in order to to become viable our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I mean, as a kid, I, I used to go to the public museum all the time. And, and I think we, we have a very, very good museum. I I can remember some of the, the special exhibits that they brought in that I help, think really helped juice attendance, whether it was the, the King Tut exhibit and then they did the butterfly thing. Then you've got staples like the, the streets of old Milwaukee. And, and these, these are wonderful sorts of things. There, there's no question about it. I guess my question, though, is given the fact that we don't have an unlimited pool of money. Oh, Mitchell Park Domes. Remember, how often do we talk about that? The Mitchell Park Domes, 
needs if if they're going to stay open they need the infusion of of a ton of money as well so there's all these different needs that are out there i guess my question and i, I think it's important to have this conversation moving forward uh frankly i think first of all the museum folks are optimistic in thinking that they can raise 150 million dollars but god bless them i mean go go for it if you think you can do it that that's great but i guess from the perspective of the the public where are the priorities? And if you're going to come up with $45 million that's going to end up costing you 55 or $60 million over time, is, is the museum the appropriate priority? And one of the things that I would ask you is, first of all, can I see a show of hands? And how many people, how many people have been to the Milwaukee Public Museum? All right, lots of people. Hands up. How many of you have been to the Milwaukee Public Museum in the last five years? Well, a lot of hands have gone down. How many people have been to the Milwaukee Public Museum in the last 10 years? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, e- even, you know, lots more hands going down. So 855 $45 million from Milwaukee County that really doesn't have, doesn't have $45 million. Is this the right move? 855 We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so the argument right now is the current site for the Milwaukee Public Museum is it's too big. They say it needs $70 million in deferred maintenance projects, and there are some estimates that say that to renovate it would cost $215 million, which is approximately what it would cost to build a a new one somewhere. Now, once you have that empty building, the county's still going to have to maintain it, but they're they're saying we'd we'd rather have the, the new building. It just makes sense to do that. But in order to do that, and in order to start trying to get $150 million in private sector money, you need a commitment. You need $40 million from the state. You need $45 $45 million from the county, you need a little bit from the federal government, and the county has just signed off on $45 million in borrowing. Now, a committee did that. I think the county board did it. The county executive still has to sign off on it. But it's $45 million that by the time they pay back the interest, it's going to be 55 to $60 million. And it's all well and good. I don't mean to be anti-museum here, but the county doesn't have the money. So, I mean, the, the county, at some point in time, do you have to make choices? Do you say, okay, we're, we're going to do the museum, but we're then, I don't know how, we're going to do the safety building, or we're, now we're not going to do the domes, or now we're not going to put money into the, the park system. I mean, where is the museum in the priority list? 855-616-1620. Ron in Sheboygan. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, thanks for having me on. Um, what do you think? I feel that the investment, I think the investment would be well worth it because they're looking ahead to the future. Uh, we're a tourist state. I think you'd bring in tourists. And it's certainly a better investment, time-wise, spent than, than the hop, which was, to me was a, was a failure. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, well, Ron, th- thanks for your call. That, that's always the that, that that that's that's always the, the the point that I can never argue that. Well, yes, it, it, we might be paying money away, but we're not paying money away as much as the hop. Actually, I the 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 mayor, the guy who wants to be mayor of Milwaukee, has come out at the debate yesterday in favor of this massive expansion of the hop. It didn't get a lot of attention, but it would be about a three hundred thirty million dollar expansion. We we don't have enough cops on the street, but we're going to spend money on on expanding the hop. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. I guess, I mean, I don't mean to sound anti-museum here, and I don't think 
places like a museum, for example, they contribute overall to the cultural the, the, the cultural ambiance of a community. So I don't think they necessarily have to be self-sufficient. At the same time, $240 million is a lot of money. And I guess part of my question is, how many people really still go to the, the museum? I mean, is how, how much, how vital is this? And if it's going to be... I don't know if it's going to be viable. Should we expect, you know, the, the private sector to make it more self-sufficient? Because again, it's it's a question of priorities. Is the is the um, museum more important than the zoo? Is it more important than the golf courses? Is it more important than the swimming pool? Is it more important than the domes? Uh, where where does that all come from? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, our kids around the city are drinking lead-filled water, but we're going to spend money on something like that. I'm not against the museum, but let's put our health first. Now, again, you've got to be careful not to confuse city and, and county spending. The, the lead pipe crisis, I believe, is primarily related to the city of Milwaukee, and this is the county. But I I understand this Jeff get it out of the city like the zoo and I'll go more and take my family um, well I I mean this is I mean it would be part I mean obviously in all honesty if you're looking at locations and you're asking me I think putting it as part of the deer district you know right in the proximity to Pfizer forum makes a lot more sense than where it is now which is kind of stuck sort of in the middle of nowhere. There's not a lot of attractions that are around it. So I, I think the location is fine. The question is, you know, where is the money going to come from? Jeff, I think this is a necessary county expenditure for quality of life to get things launched. Um, and I hope that uh, David Crawley and the Milwaukee County Board are the first string cheerleaders to raise money to finish the move. This is not the place to cut. It is too important to the community. And that's all well and good. But then then what do you say to the people that want to push the domes? And what do you say to the people that want more money for the zoo or more money for the parks? There, there is there's a bucket, and there's only so much water that you can put in, in the bucket. And in doing what they're doing, I think they're exceeding, what's the story I'm looking at? Um, they're, they're exceeding what they're, own rules are with regard to you know how, how much borrowing that they are supposed to take. Jeff, I went to the museum last about three years ago. I hate that it's downtown. I live in Sheboygan. I go to the zoo more. Um, I think the beaches and the domes need money as well. Um, Jeff, I'm like the other guy. Get it out of Milwaukee. I would go more. I wouldn't waste my time coming down to Milwaukee. Well, again, I, I think the lo- my beef isn't with the location. It's an improved location. It's it's $45 million bucks that they don't have, though. Jeff, the last time I went to the museum was a field trip for my daughter's school. That was when she was 10. She's now 31. Um, yeah, Jeff, it's easy for people outside of the county of Milwaukee to say you want to put the money into museum because they're not the ones that have to pay the taxes to pay for it. Maybe they would think first about the putting the money into the park system that more people would use. Jeff, had anyone maintained the building throughout its life, we wouldn't be in this position. Well, maybe not as bad. There's no question about it. Deferred deferred maintenance also ends up hurting. 
Um, I guess I, I look at this and I understand. I, you, you, you say, okay, where is the money coming from? And everybody says, well, of course you need to have a museum. But then to me, again, the follow-up question, and we did this when we were having the conversation about the domes. I got all this, these, these hate texts and stuff about, well, how can, don't you realize that the domes are great? And my question was always, okay, that's fine. When was the last time you were there? And I swear three-quarters of the people I talked to hadn't been there in ten years. Or, you know, if, if they were there, it was once in ten years when they had family from out of town that came in in the middle of winter and they went out to look at something. It, it's not that it's not nice. It's not that it's not of value. But you have to prioritize things in deciding where the money is going to come from. So if we decide to go ahead and make this investment in the museum, understand that. But then when the bill comes due on other things, recognize that we have made the choice that the museum is more important than these other things and then get ready to live with it. And I guess that's that's the frustrating thing to me. We're not having that debate. We're not saying, what can we do? Because you have to look at it, it seems to me, as part of this overall plan and prioritize things, not just simply saying, well, we think the museum is worthwhile, so here, let's put $45 bucks into it. Oh, okay, that, that's fine, but then... Again, what do you do moving forward? Don't you have to have priorities like you do in, in your own home where you're sitting there saying, okay, this is our budget for the year or this is our budget for the next couple years and we're planning in improvements. So, you know, what do we end up doing? Well, we'd like to put in a backyard swimming pool. All right, that, that's great, but the backyard swimming pool is going to cost X amount of dollars, and we're going to need a new roof, and we're going to need a new furnace, and, you know, you want to get new kitchen appliances or new kitchen cabinets or whatever. So you, you have to prioritize stuff. So at the end of the day, maybe you say, gee, we'd really like to have that, that backyard pool, but other things are more important, and we've only got X amount of dollars that are out there. I, I don't know that we get that inquiry. don't know that that's the question that anybody in Milwaukee County asks, and maybe maybe that's the question that they should be asking. All right, when we come back, the 2 o'clock hour today, personalities, Tommy Thompson and somebody who was prominent for a lot of us over the years and a lot more. It's going to be a really interesting 2 o'clock hour. Do not go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I understand that there are people who say, oh, my God, we have these elections all the time. It's another election year. I, I, I can't stand it with all the political ads and stuff. Although, by the way, Bob Donovan out with another series of radio ads. And I, I, I understand for, for Bob Donovan to win the mayor's office would be a, a huge Huge upset, but the, these radio ads he's running are absolutely dynamite. Some of the best that I've heard. Will it be enough to carry him over the top? Well, I, 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 you know, nobody gives him a chance. But don't be surprised if he outperforms expectations. And I love those radio ads. But anyways, it, it's an election year, so you have politicians that have uh, these sort of sudden conversions. I think it would be fair to say that Governor taxing Tony Evers. I think it would be, if you don't want to call him soft on crime during the first three years of his administration, it would be fair to say that he's not 
aggressive when it comes to criminal justice issues. And you've had violence all across the state under his watch. And I understand the governor isn't directly responsible for crime, but the governor... He's the one that, you know, initiates the changes in the legislature and the tough-on-crime legislation. That's just not his orientation. That is not Tony Evers. And when you had the riots that broke out in Kenosha and Madison a while back, his, his natural reaction is to side with the rioters. Oh, you know, we, we, don't, we don't want to crack down on this. And that is a policy and Evers can read polls, and the people around him can read polls. That is a policy which is hurting him and will hurt him because crime is going to be a huge issue. So he's trying to figure out ways to defuse this. I, I sent out a tweet about this about a week or two ago. It, it's you know one of the things that you're going to see in 30 and 60 second ads is you know Evers is um, on t- uh, on TV. You know, talking about, you know, various issues. And one of the reporters asks him, when's the last time you met with a, a Milwaukee homicide victim's family? To which Evers looks with that deer in the headlight look that he gets and says, well, I've, I, I've had a busy schedule. <laughs> you are going to see that in 30 and 60 second ads. And, and the Evers people know it. So what they're trying to do is try to furnish his image when it comes to, well, maybe he's not as soft on crime as people would believe. So today he shows up in Milwaukee and he announces that he's sending $50 million in federal funds to police forces and courthouses across the state to boost law enforcement and crime prevention programs. Evers announced the spending plan on the steps of the Milwaukee County Courthouse, which will receive $14 million alone to extend hours and expand staffing to help resolve outstanding cases with a goal of clearing 100 more cases per week. Okay, that that's fine. I guess but my question is, what exactly does that mean, clearing cases? Does that mean we're going to prosecute more people? Does that mean we're going to dismiss more cases, therefore the cases are cleared? So you don't know. Look, I, I don't mind the idea that you've finally got some of this money that's released that's being put into law enforcement. So that, that that's a good thing. But, again, this is – let's understand why this is happening. This is happening because it is an election year. Evers realizes that he is incredibly, incredibly vulnerable when it comes to the crime issue. He also realizes that that he's going to be handed, in the very near future, he's going to be handed a series of anti-crime legislation that's coming through the Republican legislature, including legislation that will make it tougher for judges to just haphazardly release people on stupid low bail, which, for example, is one of the things that led to the massacre that happened at the Waukesha Christmas Parade. Evers' instinct and his desire is he's going to want to and probably will veto most, if not all, of this tough-on-crime legislation because that's not where Evers is and that's not where a lot of his supporters are, but it's where the bulk of the state is. So when you're talking about, here, we're giving this money to you know local law enforcement and stuff like that, it's, it's all fine, but understand what this is. This is an attempt to provide some sort of insulation and protection when he turns around and he vetoes a lot of this anti-crime legislation and he can say, well, okay, yes, maybe I did this, but still I, I gave all this money out. Law enforcement, take the money. That That's great. What they do with it, we'll, we'll see. But if it changes people's perception and you suddenly think that Tony Evers has gone from a dove to a hawk when it comes to anti-crime and tough-on-crime stuff, that's just, that's, that's silly. <laughs> it's just flat-out silly. All right, there's an interesting piece 
on a website called Urban Milwaukee, which is one of the web- websites around that does. Um, Bruce Murphy runs it. He used to he worked for Milwaukee Magazine and he worked for the Journal Sentinel and and all. And, and I, I cite it from time to time because I think they do a really good job of covering local issues. They have a decidedly liberal spin, but that's okay. You know, it, it's still you know they they cover the issues. And there's a piece that went up yesterday by Steve Walters who used to write for the, the local newspaper and all, and it talks about Tommy Thompson. Now, Tommy Thompson is getting ready to step down from his gig as the UW president. And one of the things that Thompson has done is he's kept the door open as to whether he's going to run for a, for governor for what would be, you know, the, the fifth time. He's, he's run four times, won all four times. Tommy Thompson is the nightmare of the left. And, and that's that's what you, you have to keep in mind here, because if Tommy Thompson runs against Tony Evers, Tommy Thompson wins. I, I just I Tommy Thompson, I believe, wins. And so this piece is kind of snarky. And it really while it doesn't come out and say it, it talks about, you know, all the reasons that Thompson shouldn't run. And I think, again, the spin behind this is that. Democrats don't want Thompson to run because I think they figure that he crushes, you know, Tony Evers. Where if Tony Evers is running against one of the other announced candidates, whether it's Rebecca Clefish or some others, he he's it's a much more kind of competitive race. So the the piece talks about really why why Tommy why why would he do this? And it points out that he would be eighty two on November nineteenth, eleven days after the election, no governor in the nation is in their eighties. So, you know, why would you do that? It points out that yes, he's won four times as governor, but you know, after the in the middle of the fourth term, he quote unquote got bored and, and left and took the job with the Department of Health and Human Services. You know, so why would he want to come back again? He came back. He ran against Tammy Baldwin for U.S. Senate in 2012, but he ended up losing. So the implication is maybe the Tommy Thompson magic has kind of been lost. Uh, the article talks about well, it costs a lot of money. You know, do you, can you raise the money? Who's going to run your campaign? You know, a lot of the people that were advising you 20 years ago, they're tied up with other people. Then the piece, how do you appeal to younger Wisconsin voters, Tommy? The state's median age is 36. That voter was born around the time you were first elected governor. And then, gee, Tommy, do you want to get involved in some of the questions that you're going to be asked, like the election probe and Biden running? And so the whole implication is of this is, Tommy, you, you shouldn't run because, well, you know, maybe your time ha- has passed. And do you really want to do all this stuff? When the unspoken point is, gee, Tommy, if we're on the left, we don't want you to run because we're afraid that you're going to win. All right, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I've i known Governor Thompson since 1994. We're kind of on a first-name basis. I, I don't... I have his phone number, but I don't pick up his phone and call him and say, you know, are, are, are you running? So I have no particular insight. I do believe, though, that if Tommy Thompson runs... I think he wins the Republican primary, and I certainly think he beats Tony Evers, and I don't think the election is even close. Now, whether he wants to do it at the age of you know, 81 is a whole different story. But would you like to see Tommy Thompson run? And do you agree with my premise that if he runs, he wins? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
It is my premise that the reason there's a lot of people on the left and the media elite who are pointing out all the the drawbacks should Tommy Thompson want to run for governor, it's really because they're afraid that if Thompson gets in, he crushes Tony Evers, which I believe he does. Um, Jeff, you're wrong. No one wants Tommy back, and I don't think he would win against Evers. Um, okay. Uh, Jeff, do you think that Tommy Thompson is the only candidates for the Republic? Republicans that could beat Evers. No, not at all. But I think if Tommy Thompson runs against Evers, Evers doesn't have a chance. Jeff Thompson is a mainstream Republican, not of the Trump ilk. I'm a Democrat, but would like to see the Republican Party move back closer to the old Republican value system. I think I could live with him. Jeff Thompson still has a good sound mind at the age of 80. I, well, I, I will say this. I I was with uh, Tommy at our, at our, our holiday show out in Pewaukee and you know we ended up sitting down talking for about 15 minutes or so and he's 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 the same Tommy he was when we were you know hanging out in 1994 Jeff Tommy Thompson still has a good sound mind at 80 I think he could win for sure if it wasn't for Dane and Milwaukee counties those two counties pretty much dictate who wins well Tommy Thompson actually carried Milwaukee County in uh, I want to say in 1994 Jeff, I'm um, not texting for either side of the party, but I do want to point out the fact that age was an issue when our last president was running for office, correct? Yeah, but it didn't stop people from electing Joe Biden. Jeff, I don't know Tommy Thompson, but I work for a very wealthy couple that's very tight with them, and they would have no problem throwing big money behind him, behind endorsing him. I have to believe that there are many others that would, and he would handily walk away with it. Um, yes. Jeff, can we get someone in office who isn't a dinosaur, please? Well, that's, you know, that's the, that is the question. Is, is, is that too old? Um, Jeff, no, no, no. His age disqualifies him in 2022 for reference to the current occupant of the White House. Jeff, normally you and I are on the same page with most stuff, but I see him as way too old and way past his time. I think he would be kind of like a boat anchor. Huh. Um, Jeff, Tommy Thompson was not governor during the age of social media and cameras being everywhere. I don't think he's prepared to be governor in our current environment. Um, Tommy Thompson, Tommy being Tommy, wouldn't be as popular with social media. Well, maybe, maybe not, but I don't know. How does Tony Evers do with governor in the age of social media with cameras being everywhere? Jeff, Jeff, I agree. He will win. Like many Republicans, I'm a regular old-school Republican, not a MAGA Republican like all the current candidates. A lot of Democrats would choose him as well. I sure hope he runs. Jeff, I'll give you a conditional yes as to whether Tommy should run and whether he wins. The question, the condition is that he hasn't gotten as wacky as Ron Johnson did after a few years of sanity. Jeff, Kevin Nicholson, he would crush Thompson and Evers. Kevin Nicholson. Kevin Nicholson. Well, maybe things will change, but right now, Kevin Nicholson, in my opinion, loses loses to Rebecca Clayfish, and I don't think it's even close. Now, things can change. Oh, the primary's not till August. Jeff, I'd love to see a mainstream politician run, period. And that's what Tommy Thompson is. He would be a mainstream politician. Now, there, there are, I think, legitimate questions. And, and to me, if I were advising the governor, Tommy Thompson, my, my question wouldn't be, can you win? Because the answer is, yeah, I, can you? Yes, I think he can win. Can you raise the money to, to run an effective campaign? 
Absolutely. I think there's a lot of people that write big checks and they would support him. You've got name recognition that's pretty much universal. Um, I, I understand it's been a while since he's been the governor, but everybody knows who Tommy Thompson is. And he, he had a very successful track record as governor. So you, you don't have to spend months and months introducing yourself to the, the public. You could run, you raise a bunch of money. You've got a track record of success in pretty much everything that you've done. So you have all those factors that are out there. And, and yes, you get in the race and, and you're going to be ask questions about you know your reaction to Donald Trump and are you a Donald Trump Republican and to which he's going to say he's a Tommy Thompson Republican and at the end of the day I think the Republican Party is going to coalesce and they're going to want the candidate that's most likely to beat Tony Evers now here which in my opinion would be Tommy Thompson now here to me is is the big it's a fundamental and it's the overriding question and it's it's not could you get the nomination? Because I think the answer is yes. It's not, could you win the election? Because I think the answer is yes. The question is, do you want to do it? And that's that's something that Tommy Thompson has to decide. It, he he loved campaigning. That was, that was something, and I mean, I, I saw it personally 25 years ago, going on 30 years ago. I, I saw... I mean, how much he loved going out and interacting with people and stuff. I, the, the Tommy Thompson I see occasion still still has that passion and still has that, that vigor. But at the same time, th- th- there is a certain point where even if you've got the mental acuity and you've got the desire, the question becomes, do I want to do this again? Because there is a been there, done that sort of thing. He was elected governor four times at this point in your life where you've got all these other things that are out there and that's kind of one of the questions I asked him when we were talking in November I said well you know what you know you're gonna retire you're gonna step down and he said no he said I don't like to play golf <laughs> it's like I, I don't I, I don't like to play golf I like to stay active I want to do things and so I, I don't know I know when this rumor first circulated I was probably about 80-20 thinking not going to happen simply because, not that he couldn't be successful at it, but because at the end of the day he decides, you know, what? why do I need this anymore? I'm, I'm moving more towards 50-50. I'm not saying I, I'm there yet, but I do think that for people who dismiss him, oh, he's too old, uh, the voters won't support him, um, I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't buy that at all. And if the choice is Tommy Thompson with a vig- and his vigor and his intensity at 80, or Tony Evers at 71, I- I'm, I'm taking Tommy Thompson. There, there's, just no, there's just no question about it. That's not to say that other Republican candidates can't beat Tony Evers, but it's a different sort of campaign. And I think that's one of the things that, that Tommy's got to be considering. He says he'll let people know in April. Like I say, I, I'm not predicting that he's going to run. I am predicting, though, that if he did run, he wins. All right. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.